Hi, everybody. You're listening to the 18th episode of the HPP Podcast. I'm DeCarlo Calloway, alongside Dorian. And on today's podcast, we start a car company, watch the rise of the celebrity team manager, and discuss what time of the day is best for men to exercise. But we're going to start today's episode like we do every episode, showcasing the drinks that we are enjoying as we record this. So, Dorian, what's going on with you today, man? How are you? Carlo, I'm doing really well. I'm ready to pull both of us up from our bootstraps so we can become very successful entrepreneurs as we start this car company. But before we start a car company, we need to have a drink to get inspired. And, and today's drink for me is a beer called Vanilla Moon Beer Duple. It's a dark Belgian ale from it, it Vassen Brewing Company in Richmond, Virginia the capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I did some research on how to actually pronounce this word, etvasen, and actually, I don't know, it's... Etvasen. There you go. We, we, yeah. have, we have a guest star teaching us how to pronounce... Etvasen. Brewing company in Richmond, Virginia. So, and I want... Etvasen. Remember to say, the aim of the is let me tell you people there is no e or t in this word you'll see it in the show notes all right let's move on so it is actually one of the most sustainable breweries in the country it reduces energy consumption by reusing or recycling a hundred percent of the resources so big shout out to them and it is actually located in the in the richmond neighborhood it's called scott's edition historic district it's a small industrial tract in in the west of the city and it actually used to be part of a, of a plantation. Now, what am I going to talk about today? It's about a car. So I'm doing a little bit of artistic leeway here. And I'm not talking about Edvason. I'm not talking about Swedish beer. And I'm not, I'm not going to be talking about Scott's edition. Belgian? <laughs> sure. Whatever. No, but Edvason is there. Uh, the guys who, who, who founded it are uh, from Swedish descent. Oh, okay. So actually, what, what I love about Scott's edition is that they leave all the old buildings up. They leave the facade up, so they'll still have like the Coca-Cola bottling company and this this company and that company back from like the 20s and 30s. And the, the building I'm going to be talking about and the company I'm going to be talking about is the Jones Motor Company. And now, John J. Jones was a good old Iowa farm boy. He worked in the oil fields and he saved up enough money to buy a furniture store in Wichita, Kansas. He's an entrepreneur at heart. He used that money from the furniture store and he opened up the Jones Sparks Auto Exchange, which was a used, he was a used car salesman. And from that, he kept building up. Then he became a dealer for the brand spanking new horseless carriage called the Model T by Ford Motor Company. He ended up making, from being a dealer for, for the Model T Ford Company, he ended up making over $125,000. This is back in 1914. In today's 2021, that money is equivalent to $3.2 million. So good on Mr. Jones. From that, he said, you know what? I'm not going to be selling Mr. Ford's Model T. I'm going to make my own. And that's when he used most of that $3.2 million in 2021 to get started. And before he, before Mr. Jones, actually the Jones model came out, there was actually 12 other companies, automobile companies that were named Jones. So that's why it's a little bit hard to find some information on this guy. And for any of you gearheads out there, 
his first car had a, had a horsepower of 22. Of, tw- of 22 and i'm laughing so, I'm gonna t- so i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you in a second and then and then his, uh, a, a later edition called the jones six had a much more powerful engine like the continental red seal and it produced 30 horsepowers now to compare a, a, a toyota camry in 2021 produces 202 horsepowers i, I it's 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 not it's 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 like a spaceship, basically. It's, and this is just a, a, a very humble Toyota Camry. But nevertheless, uh, the, uh, Mr. Jones, the Jones Automobile, they sold very well. He ended up selling over 4,000 units over the course of the life of the company. And it was affordable, just like the Model T from uh, Henry Ford. His car, when he first started out, he sold his cars for a thousand, just over $1,000, which in today is about $28,000. And then as he got, he, he, he started making a little even better cars. He sold them for over $2,000 in 1919, which in today's dollar is about $25,000. So, and by the, before the unfortunate, the unfortunate event of the company going bankrupt, he was actually working on a truck, the Jones truck. Kind of sounds like a young, humble man from South Africa starting a, an, a company just an electrical vehicle company here in the U.S. called Tesla and then the, te- the Cybertruck. But that was 100 years in the future. Jones is already, he was doing it by himself and he was, he was, he was American. But anyways, uh, he manages, uh, Mr. Jones sold <laughs> companies worldwide. Unfortunately, there was a large fire in the Jones factory and it basically destroyed half of his inventory, loads of automobiles, and the Jones Motor Car Company went basically into bankruptcy because the fire coupled with the the recession after world war 1 just killed the his automobile company but for mr john j jones i'm opening this beer from edvesen brewing company in richmond virginia and cheers to our entrepreneurial spirit carlo what are you going to have today well, how are you, how are you celebrating our entrepreneurial spirit uh, i'm drinking a heineken and that's because it's really cold and was in the refrigerator you know, it's always interesting. I always sit back and I and I listen to your you, you, your drinks and then your introduction of a drink and then you add a whole like you provide a backstory to it. And me, I'm just like, man, I'm just drinking it because it tastes good. <laughs> like, but I admire that, man, because it's really innovative to sit back and think about how a lot of the stories that could develop or how you could like be able to look at this and not, you know, I have no idea about no idea about a Jones car company. But it's interesting though this observation how we still use horsepower as a a measurement in terms of speed and that's just from like horse and buggy you know chariots and horse and carriage it's just some things you just don't use it's just you build on top of it and i mean he should have been smarter i mean you you know what you can't fault him for saying you know what i'm not going to sell this idiot's cars i'm going to make my own but you know, the one thing Henry Ford had was an assembly line. So, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, Jones, he, he was in business for six years and it, 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 it was, it was events outside of his control, a fire and then the recession after post-World War One. And what happened, what happened in 1920, 1921 is very applicable to 2021 because you have to remember the world was just coming out of the Great War fought between 1914 1918 then an epidemic happened the spanish flu ended up killing millions upon millions of people all around the world at 
at a rate at a rate exponentially larger than what we're going through right now through COVID-19. And then there's an economic recession. It's almost parallel to 100 years ago. And then the 1920s happened, the roaring 20s. And it's unfortunate that the Jones Motor Car Company just could not survive that recession if they had. We probably would still be driving Jones uh, motor, motor cars today, but that, that's not what happened. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, we do not condone you drinking and driving your Jones Motor Car Company. You do one or the other. But when you're, when you're listening to the podcast, when you're thinking about the next business that you're going to open, tweet us a picture of what fuels you. We'll retweet it. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. And remember to use the hashtag HBP drink. Now we're going to go on to one of our, another topic. What else fuels entrepreneurship? What else fuels greatness in sports? And those are our leaders. And that is what DeCarlo is going to share with us today. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I was, I've always been thinking about recently is the rise in popularity of team managers. You know, like you look at most sports, whether it be basketball, baseball, soccer, football, um, you know, the managers, of course, a very integral part, but of course, people pay closest attention to their star players, but you're starting to see a shift, or at least I noticed a difference in how the manager was viewed, especially during my time in Europe, looking at soccer, football, you have managers currently like Pep Guardiola, who coaches for Manchester City, Jurgen Klopp for Liverpool. These are individuals who garner as much attention if not more than a lot of star players and people will value their role in that organization if not more so than some star players people single-handedly attribute you know Jurgen Klopp's influence plus his organizational skills tactics team for being able to catapult a team like Liverpool Football Club who had a serious has a serious history in England but for 30 plus years at one point did not win a league title when other championships would always found that league title elusive, Jurgen Klopp came in there and completely changed the organization. And people wanting to dissect that, figure out what's how, how did they develop all of these strategies. And it isn't just regular novice fans, like business schools actually look into bringing in managers to discuss how they developed organizations because you do have to remember that a sports team is an organization. It's a business. You have your front office, your ownership who actually owns the team who's dealing with a lot of the revenue. But then when you have a manager, everything from the players to the nutritionist, to the medical staff, to the assistant coaches, to, to physios, all of these are coming through the manager. And he has to take into consideration and work with all of these people because they're developing a system, a strategy of how to be able to do this. They're essentially the inner workings and brains of teams. And great managers like Sir Alex Ferguson is, was, has been teaching business courses at Harvard Business Schools in terms of developmental organization and management. So it's really interesting. And, and I think that this is something that we're going to see even more of in, in more sports as we go along. You have your Bill Belichick's in the NFL, your Steve Kerr's, your Greg Popovich's in the NBA. Like, I think even more so now, especially with social media, especially that you have a lot more um, 
avenues to to gain a better insight into the inner workings of sport organizations that managers are really going to be taken more seriously and people value them as opposed to saying you know as soon as a team kind of starts struggling you just kick them out it's just kind of sucks that that's what happens considering players are the ones who go out on the field or on the court or the whatever but those managers are really something else man what are your thoughts on that i think that they're rightly regarded as I don't want to use the word genius, but highly, highly capable and talented men who were basically just, sometimes you look at someone and you're like, you were put on this earth to do exactly that. And a star manager, whether it's a, ba- a ba- basketball coach, a baseball manager, a football manager, it's, it's exactly like it is in business in the sense of who is a wonderful team lead? Think about the best boss you've ever had. This is someone possibly who inspires you, who pushes you to be the best, but also knows when to push back and allow and allow that growth to happen. Because the word the bad bad bosses, bad managers don't want you to leave. They don't want you to grow. They just want you to stay right there, just another clog. There are other managers who say uh, the. Uh, one I remember is the great Johan Cruyff, the great Dutch football player. And then he was a transformational manager with uh, FC Barcelona in Spain. And when he was the manager in Ajax in the Nether- in the Dutch football league, one of the greatest forwards of all time, Mar- Marco van Basten, asked him uh, something to the effect of where he should go. And Cruyff kept pushing him, go to Italy, go to the Italian league, Italian football league, Serie A. Because at that time, that was the absolute pinnacle professionalism. Johan Cruyff didn't say, no, 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 no. I want you to stay here in Holland and help me win countless championships. He said, no, there are bigger places for you than here. I'm glad that you've won here with me, but you have to, your talents deserve to be somewhere else. And sometimes it's the same of companies. Sometimes you outgrow a company, you outgrow an organization. You might even outgrow a team to move to another team within the same large organization. And the reason why we give the benefit of the doubt to certain managers in business world or uh, managers in, uh, in professional sports is because they've been doing it so long and they've been doing it well. So yeah, DiCarlo, sometimes people get fed up and saying, hey, this coach, this coach blows, fire him. I'm going to hire an airplane to fly, uh, uh, you know, to fly, a, what do those call it? Some sign above saying... Yeah. Fire this guy, fire that guy. I, in my eyes, I see a, a great manager, almost the same as a great business leader. Not to say that Warren Buffett could do the job of Pep Guardiola. Right. Pep Guardiola could do the job of uh, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan. But again, you're sometimes sometimes you're lucky enough to be placed in the in the exact space where your talents are used to the full full capacity. Yeah, and it, it takes a lot of skills, emotional intelligence, um, organizational strategy, <clears throat> knowing how to delegate certain responsibilities and roles to individuals, knowing your strengths, knowing your team strengths. Like, it's a lot of information that goes through. And, you know, a lot of people <laughs> don't realize that you'll have managers who put together 60 100 180 page perspectives going through their whole vision their philosophy their style you know how they're going to work to develop the organization from bottom up like 
it's a lot of work. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. And people are always really interested because they see them. And you're like, I think I can do it. You, you might play your game like football manager or whatever. Think like, yeah, I can sit back and, you know, manage the team. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, and then you also realize that just like in any type of managerial position, you have the archetypes. You'll have your stopgap managers who you put in or your cleanup managers. You have your elite managers. You have your growth managers. You have managers who could deal with uh, – eccentric and multiple personalities you have managers who are able to be more conciliatory and and um you know are able to facilitate that father son or you know bond with the players so it's it's a lot that goes in like human relationships strategy skill all of these things are important and i i personally love the fact that you have this rise in that popularity because credit needs to be given to where credit is due and you know what? I think it also shows that managers also in an age where things are more visual, where social media is at play. And, and you got to give them credit. Most of them don't even have their own social media. Like most managers don't unless they're out of the game, but they still command a presence. So that's something worth, you know, noting. Like it's not like a player. They got to sit back and put themselves all over. Like Jurgen Klopp is like admired, you know, across the world. And this guy has no social media presence whatsoever, and nor does he need it to maintain a, a heavy level of status and superstar. So you also have to. You also, we also have to highlight the fact that these these managers in competitive sports they get paid very well. But the trade off is we're paying you for your time. There are other businesses who say we're going to pay you a salary, but we expect more of your time. In sports, if you're putting in 90, 100 hours a week, you're getting paid millions of dollars. Yeah. At the same time, that your family life may suffer. And we've all heard the, the whole, uh, a lot of wives talking about being a coach's wife, which is basically, you know, they're, they're almost never around. But talking about star power of coaches and managers, there's one, there's someone who's, I want to take away some of that glitter. And that's, yeah. as a Miami Dolphin fan, we call him Little Nicky. Everyone else calls him Nick Saban or the greatest coach in, in college football history. I'm going to tell you why we, why we call him, Miami Dolphin fans call him the little Nicky because, again, I had said earlier, sometimes you're lucky enough, you're lucky enough to be placed where your talents are fully utilized. When he coached the Miami Dolphins for, I think it was two terrible years, he was completely out of his element. He, he was a tremendous uh, defensive coordinator, I think, for the Cleveland Browns back in the early 90s. And uh, before that, with Bill, uh, with Bill he was, he, he was a, he's a Bill Belichick disciple, actually. Yeah. But he was not a leader of men. Little Nicky is a leader of young men or boys who he is able to turn into men. But when he realized that the, the men you're leading are millionaires and most of them are making a hell of a lot more money than you are, and they expect to be treated like men with communication. When you're talking to a 19, 18-year-old kid who, who came in from California, from Florida, from Texas, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever, you're looking up to someone who's, who's basically the age of your father, sometimes even your grandfather. But if, you're, if, you're, if, if you have a man who's 25, 30 years old, who's a millionaire in his own right, you have to speak to him like a man. And I've read way too many articles from the perspective of, of old former Miami Dolphin players where to a person, I've never read a single interview where anyone said, had anything good to about, say about that man because he was such a control freak. And they were like, this is not, this isn't going to work for you. You're not at LSU. You're not at Michigan State here, man. Like, 
And then little Nikki realized that and he lied and said, no, 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 I'm going to stay here. And of course, he immediately put his home in Broward County up for sale. And the University of Alabama boosters, which a booster in college football is just a very rich fan. And they donate money, air quotes, to the university, to the, to the university athletic program. They paid off the mortgage to little Nikki and his wife's home in Broward County in South Florida. So uh, there's a little bit of bitterness inside of me because I, I see like this guy it. winning champ. I see this guy winning championship after championship over the past whatever 10, 12 years, and he's a very good college football coach, but mm-hmm. he does not command the respect of men. No, it's the same thing even with college basketball. You had like Rick Pitino and John Calipari who made the jump to the NBA back in the like late nineties and early twos. And multiple occasions, I know Patino, he coached the Knicks, he coached the Celtics at one point. Um, and then also Calipari, he coached the Nets. And they just went back to college because there's a certain, like you said, there's a certain you you can't speak to a millionaire like they're a boy. And but at the same time, you need to have a lot of strength or show a certain level of strength that a millionaire is going to respect you. You know what I mean? Like, it's completely different. Like, you it's know. It's not the size, to Carlos, it's not the size of the bank account. It's the fact that these are well, and also how you speak successful, to highly talented yeah. men who happen to be millionaires. No, but these but are that, the but best with that, at their jobs. But with that, that level of, you know, fortune that level of experience you know not being an 18 19 year old kid from you know tech central texas or louisiana who looks at and knows the legend of nick saban who has turned boys to men you know what i mean win national champion like his aura is in college football like you said and he's just one of those and usually the great college but the coaches don't turn into great professional coaches with the exception of the university of miami's own jimmy johnson yes, winning super bowls with a, yes he yes. built that amazing dynasty with the dallas cowboys in the early to mid 90s and then of course uh, Pete carroll who left the scandal yeah. written university of southern california and he built he, he built his own mini dynasty with uh, but Pete Carroll was well. a jump up though you know the interesting thing because when he first was at the patriots they weren't that great oh, then he went him. back to college and then he remade it at usc then when he went to Seattle. So Pete Carroll actually turned is he's one of those like success. He's like one of the few who's ever been able to do that though, because you yeah. really don't like, yeah. Cause he was really not like, but he like to the point where it was like, you saw, he's like, I'm not making that. But Seattle was like, Hey, and you know, got to give him credit. He Russell Wilson. I remember seeing him on uh Gruden's uh, gridiron camp or whatever they used to have on ESPN where he would talk to like uh, prospective draftees mm-hmm. yep. and Russell Wilson's personality showed even though you're like this guy's really athletic he he played baseball he like he just had a confidence like no this is what I'm supposed to do I got this and when he went to the NFL he got it so you know Kudos to Pete Carroll. Even even still in the NFL, he had scandals too. So he can't he can't help himself. Even you know from college to, to the pros. He, He's uh, one last quick tidbit before we close this out about Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. I spoke about I spoke about Coach Carroll la- on the last episode about the book um, Ego Is the Enemy, and I'm going to tell you this man has changed. Back in I believe it was in the 1991 or the 1992 season. He was the defensive coordinator for the New York Jets, 
as usual, they were terrible that year, as they always are. <laughs> and they, they are. <laughs> you're not even a Jets fan. Actually, I was, yeah, kind of, I don't know. They just are so bad. It's hard to even identify as a fan. Okay, thank you for adding value to my story. You're but welcome. anyways, <laughs> so in about the, it was in the early 90s, they, the New York Jets went down to Miami to play the Dolphins. I think it was a primetime game. It was either Sunday night football or Monday night football. And it was a close game. The kicker for the Dolphins missed a field goal. And the ESPN cameras focused in on the defensive coordinator, Pete Carroll, a very young Pete Carroll, doing the choke sign and pointing to the kicker. And as you can imagine, how how well that went over with the Miami Dolphins sideline. So what happened? Uh, Dan Marino, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time for the Miami Dolphins, he got the ball back, boom, 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 drove him down the field, touchdown, they win. And everyone blames Pete Carroll for pissing off Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins with his little choke thing. And then we fast forward 30 years later, Pete Carroll is a, is a grandfather. He's in his seventies. He's more mellow. He's very energetic. Not, not in a, not in a, you know, a falling asleep type of way, but it's incredible to see his evolution from this poisonous character to going to USC and then uh, the Seattle Seahawks. So it's, it's interesting, but what else is interesting is Pete Carroll's coach in a couple of Super Bowls, and it's the Super Bowl is happening in about a week or so, DiCarlo. How excited are you that the Kansas City Chiefs, and by the way, people, I'm sorry, we're bringing back an old favorite uh, topic here, Miss Cleo time, a.k.a. weekly predictions. This is when we look into our very, we're wiping off our, our, our magic eight ball because we haven't used this in a while. So this week, for Miss Cleo time, it's Super Bowl prediction. DiCarlo, Kansas City Chiefs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, tell me your thoughts. Who's going to win? Why? So, I look at this game as a changing of the guard type of game. Because for whatever it's worth, Tom Brady, one of the greatest quarterbacks who's ever played the game, no doubt about it, he's 43 years old. He's still at the top of his game. We'll give him that. But he probably has maybe two, maybe three seasons left. And hell, Matt even decided he might want to end it after this season. Two, maybe three decades left, maybe. I don't know. Well, whatever he's taking, whatever genetic cocktail. Yeah. Sign me up. Um, and then you have Patrick Mahomes. Like, Mahomes. The best quarterback on the planet. Oh, my God. The guy is just so freaking good. Like, it, it's hard to sit back and – you know what I mean? And, and I have to give him credit because he's he's the type of player who's good but doesn't need to, like, flaunt it. Like, you, yeah, you Cristiano oh, Ronaldo's yes. who are, like, your super peacocks, but then you also have, say, like, you know, you're more – He's more of a Lionel Messi. He not knows to the he's point so where, good. But Messi – Messi is so good, but he's also socially awkward type, so it's not like he really acknowledges it. That's but true. Mahomes is just like a humble dude who's like, I'm good. I know I'm good. But you know what? But it, so is Tom Brady at the same time. Like Tom Brady is – I remember there was an episode of uh, Entourage years ago, and Turtle, Giants fan, hates Tom Brady. and But they go golfing, and by the end, he, like, melted. And he's just like, I can't not like Tom Brady. Like, as much as you want to hate him – there's something about him personality-wise that he probably has that infectious personality just makes you feel like you're a really like you're welcome and he's happy that you're here. 
and like caters to you and so they kind of shit that similarity i think so it was really interesting that they're playing against one another too i think the one of the reasons so many people like tom brady is the fact that you can uh, again i'm taking a little bit of artistic liberties here you can almost see yourself at tom brady because he was very famously not the first pick of the NFL. He was, I think, the one. He was the one hundred and seventh round. Round. Pick. He was, a, I believe, the one hundred and ninety ninth player picked. Mm-hmm. And if you see pictures of him coming out of the University of Michigan, he has a very bland body, and it's been his relentless work ethic, taking care of his body. Whereas you see someone like Patrick Mahomes, and again, this is I in my in my obviously personal opinion. Patrick Mahomes, he was touched by some higher being and said, I'm putting you on this earth to be a quarterback, flat out. And this guy has out, out otherworldly talents. And you're like, I could never do anything that this man does, like nothing. I have no relation to this man except except be, be humbled with the fact that I'm able, humbled and be happy that you can watch this man work versus Tom Brady. You're like, I could, I like the fact that I could almost, if I was that dedicated, I could be like him. And in interviews, Tom Brady has, himself has said, he, he, he's a humble guy. He knows he's really good, but he has said Aaron Rodgers is so much more talented than him. And God knows what he thinks of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's, uh, but anyways, here we are. We're, 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 we're getting into this Tom Brady thing, but my prediction <laughs> The Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes will beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, probably, I would say, about uh, by a touchdown. I'm going to say it's going to be Kansas City 30, Tampa Bay 20. And Patrick Mahomes is almost, almost unbeatable. Almost. Um, I think Kansas City is going to win. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised. Because Tom Brady did. Tampa Bay has turned out to be a decent squad. You know Except I mean? for so, the fact that Tom Brady threw three consecutive interceptions in the NFC Championship game. And frankly, they shouldn't be here. They, they should have lost. They should have lost. Re- lost. It was because of Green Bay's terrible offense that they could they, they only got six points out of those three. No. Again, this is not a football an- an- analysis broadcast, but nevertheless, I'm sorry. But yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I think, it, I, I hope it's a high scoring game because it would be. It would be very nice to have a, a an entertaining Super Bowl because you know there's apart from last year when you had Shakira and J Lo, my God, that was so great. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, um, yeah. you know they've kind now, of been. We, yeah, this this time we're having the weekend as the the halftime show. I'm like, bring back J Lo, bring yeah, back. Yeah, nobody want to see okay? the weekend. He's going to put on that bloated face and do blinding lights like he did. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to think of something for the ladies. but Or maybe he's they the do. only one who was like, I don't care about COVID. <laughs> DeCarlo, that is a tremendous analysis. Every other year they trade off because the year before uh, J-Lo and Shakira, they did uh, Room 5. And I forget the name of the lead singer, Adam, Adam Levine. 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 Adam Levine, yeah. Him being shirtless with his tattoos. All the girls were, you know, a gaga of, uh, about him. And then, then they're like, we know what we got to take care of the men. Let's give them Shakira. They give, let's give them that Latin, the Latin fire of Shakira and J-Lo. But again, we're, uh, so okay. So we're both saying the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll see if Miss yeah. Cleo 
if Miss we'll Cleo blesses us. But as you see, the, an underlying theme, a connecting tissue of this show, of this episode, is fuel, fueling cars, fueling the passion and the talents of managers and exceptionally talented, competitive human beings. And this is where our show sponsor comes in that does that fueling. The Standard Oil Company. You expect more from Standard and you get it. Whether it's your brand new fuel combustion engine, whether you need fuel for a kerosene lamp, and again, if you're fueling your new horseless carriage, whether it be the Model T, which we're not a fan of, we are Jones Automobile Company men, trust the Standard Oil Company to fuel your world. That's the Standard Oil Company. You expect more from Standard and you get it. One other thing that fuels us in our next segment, unsolicited advice, is our body. How do we fuel and maintain our body to Carlo? So for one, you eat and you exercise. But the one thing you got to keep in mind is that, well, as we learn more and more and more, we realize there's a lot of science behind trying to keep yourself in shape, the best times that you should do things. And a recent study that was discussed in the New York Times uh, talks about men who are at risk for metabolic ailments, so diabetes, essentially. Um, exercising in the afternoon is better as opposed to exercising in the morning and evenings. And from studies, it's shown that it provides better metabolic health and weight loss results. So, you know, studies have shown that both animals and people that they're within our tissues is almost like a molecular clock that chimes in. And it's a part of our biological messaging related to our daily exposure to light, food and sleep. And, you know, manipulating the timing of sleep as well as meals, the timing of when you eat can improve metabolic health. Hence why you have people who might do intermittent fasting a couple of days a week because it activates and allows their body to really burn off a lot more of their excess fat as opposed to adding more to your system by eating then you know slowing up the process or gunking it up or not allowing your body to really just burn off a lot of its energy and fat but they're finding that as a result of this in terms of your cellular timing that working out in the morning like well in the afternoon excuse me it amplifies it morning workouts in previous experiments they did say amplifies fat burning but a lot of those often manipulated the timing of breakfast so if you want to find, say, a generic time, people might eat breakfast, or say, like, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, um, as opposed to, say, 11 or 12, that might have a, that would definitely have a different uh, result if you're doing an experiment on that. But So, so DiCarlo, you, what you're saying is you're allowing everyone listening to this podcast, just sleep in, people. Is that what you're saying? Just no, sleep in. Don't go, don't go to the more Don't go work out in the morning. Just sleep in. No, it's just maybe... <laughs> have your breakfast or whatever you want to do and then really just ramp it up in the afternoon which also makes sense too when you think about you know the sun shining having a little bit more energy might have had a little bit of like had a meal in the morning to work off some of those things not to say that exercising in the morning isn't encouraged it's just in terms of if say for instance you do have you're predisposed to diabetes or type 2 diabetes and you know that maybe exercising in the afternoon is better suited for you as opposed to say somebody who doesn't have a deep 
uh, predisposition to diabetes or other metabolic ailments. It's identifying what really works best for you individually because we're all built differently. And this is through trial and error. So sometimes try to find what works best for you, but most importantly, make sure you eat right and exercise. If, you know, at least three to five times a, day, a week, it would be good. Especially as you get older, you realize your body starts breaking down or you're thinking like, yeah, and I'm still hot and young. And then some young girl tells you that, nah, man, you, I, you're wise. And, you know, you seem like you're very intelligent. I can learn so much. And you realize like, oh man, I'm washed. If you want to delay it a little bit, take care of yourself. <laughs> I, I, I trust you because you're telling me this because I've known you for a long time, but what if I didn't know you? Why? Who, who told you this to tell us this? Well, it's called I, you read. And maybe if you just do a little bit more reading. Nerd. And then do nerd. some trial and error. Hey, nerds are the ones who run the world. So what's the problem? If you know, seriously, I think it's just a matter of like educating yourself. As you get older, you need to take into consideration some of these factors. You need to realize that, you know, your body and your metabolism is not going to run. You shouldn't eat probably late at night because or snack a lot within the day because your metabolism stops and starts which then doesn't really allow for your body to continue to burn off your energy that keeps you energized and not lethargic allowing you to do things and also providing you with the proper nutrients and nutritional and nutrients and all the nutritional stuff that you need in order to to uh be successful during the day i sound like a terrible like commercial but anyway no, but it's very valuable information. So obviously this is what, you know, obviously DeCarlo said at the top of the episode that these are the, the, the best time for men to work out is apparently in the afternoon. But, uh, you know, there, there may be other questions because this is good for men. But what about us girls? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'll find well, another Obviously, find it's, 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 We're equitable it's here. for everybody. It's yes. for everybody. HPP is an equal opportunity workout, health, mental, comedy, our own little society. I'm teasing to Carlo. So what's good for men is good for the girls. Good for the goose is good for the gander. Or no, there's actually that's very something different. completely different. There's different. There's different, <laughs> like physiological things. I mean, there's more studies that come out too. So, don't worry, ladies. We won't discriminate. But for for today, for you thirty uh, somethings or twenty somethings starting to come self aware of the fact that you're going to age and get older, and your body's going to start breaking down, start thinking about I mean, even, even if you're already a male or female in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, at that point, it's not about uh, going back to how you were when you were 17 years old, or even 25 years old, it's about maintaining and a great manager, a great leader of men said this, Arsene Wenger, the legendary manager of Arsenal Football Club in the English Premier League in, in Great Britain in his in his new autobiography that just came out last month. Uh, it wasn't in the autobiography, I'm sorry. It was in a podcast I listened to. And right now I cannot remember what it was. Oh, I lied. It was in one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah, Desert Island Discs. It's by the BBC. And about a few weeks ago, he was on that and he was saying that Arsene Wenger is, I think, in his early 70s. And he's saying, at this point in my life, I work out every single morning 
before breakfast. He's not taking to Carlos's advice. He's not taking uh, physiological, uh, what is it, this uh, study, uh, the, the physiological society advice. But nevertheless, he still works out. He works out every single morning because he says, that way I get that out of the way. And at this point in my life, I'm paraphrasing what Arsene Wenger said, I just need to maintain where I was yesterday. I can't, I'm not going to be able to go back to where I was when I was 30 years old. So Arsene Wenger, listen to that episode, everyone, because again, we realize we're not the only podcast and we appreciate you listening to us, but Arsene Wenger on Desert Island Discs, that's one of my favorite podcasts. You know who else might appreciate you listening to us as well as other podcasts to broaden your horizons? Come on, who are those lovable sleepyheads who always sit around us to listen to the things that we do? Our beautiful and wonderful pets, which means that when you're exercising, when you're having a drink, when you're thinking of your next brilliant business idea, send send us a picture of whatever it is that your pets are doing, flying around, running around, eating, sleeping, we're going, to ret- we're going to retweet them because HBP loves all pets. Again, our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. And remember to use the hashtag HBPets. That's H-B-P-E-T-S. And that's a wrap, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. You find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at HPP4040 and our drinks will be in the show notes. Join us next time for a brand new episode of HPP. HPP Podcast. Have a great one, everybody. Peace.